Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, you have given us wonderful words of life through Christ Jesus. Still our hearts, still our minds, open us up to your word so that we too may proclaim and live these wonderful words of life. Amen. Wow, what a difference a week has made, huh? Have you been in the stores? You, really? I mean, I come from Minnesota, and even during snowstorms, it's not that bad. Things are just wiped off the shelves in many respects. And I didn't realize it until just today, yesterday actually, how important last week's message was. It was build your house on the rock, right? And then you will be able to withstand all of those storms in life. And you see people right now, their lives are practically crumbling under them because they don't have any foundation. And you know what is also in sparse uh, supply, it seems, in many regards, is truth. Because there are a lot of, I don't know if you read the news and everything, but there seems to be all these different voices, and they're very loud, and sometimes they agree, sometimes they disagree, and sometimes after a while, you don't actually know, well, what is truth? What should I believe or not? Is anybody else in that boat? I mean, there's a lot of that, because nobody has built their house on the rock. And yet, in the midst of all of this, there is the truth of Christ Jesus, Jesus is not one of the truths. He is not a version of the truth, but he himself is the unchanging, unwavering truth. He is our cornerstone. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. He is our firm foundation. And he declares in the midst of all the fear, all the panic, all the confusion, that he is the truth. Not only is he the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and life everlasting. And his truth transcends this earthly tent in which we live. It is for all time. So today we are going to continue on in our series. And today is it about truth. Truth that will set you free. Truth that will set you free, not necessarily, not just from fear of death, from fear of illness, but from fear and of bondage to sin. And when you know that you have that freedom in Christ Jesus from the bondage of sin, you will also know then who Jesus is and the truth that he proclaims. And when you have that truth, the fears of this life subside. You aren't so afraid of illness, and you need not fear even death itself, for death no longer has any sting. So today is about the truth of Christ Jesus, who promises us, promises us everlasting life. Look, you and I will not be deterred from our mission of proclaiming the gospel of being disciples of Christ Jesus, of making disciples of, tri of Christ Jesus, rather than during this time 
we can actually grow deeper in our faith, standing on Christ Jesus, who is the cornerstone. Our roadmap this morning is actually pretty simple. It is this, we are going to cut through the confusion of who Christ is, knowing the truth and being set free. Three things, cutting through the confusion, knowing the truth and being set free. So cutting through the confusion. You can't get to the truth without knowing who Jesus is. You cannot get to the truth without knowing who Jesus is. And when you know Jesus, you will know the truth. But there is much confusion about who Jesus is. Today, there's so many different ideas of who Jesus is that it is almost unbelievable, but it shouldn't be because there were many ideas of who Jesus is even back in his time. It was perplexing, it was confusing, and thus we're picking up in our gospel reading where the Pharisees were talking to Jesus, and they said, who are you? Who are you? Now, this is not simply a question of curiosity. It is almost a statement, almost like just who do you think you are? They are very frustrated with Jesus. They are perplexed. They are confused. They are irritated. They are bothered by him. See, to understand their frustration and their bother, you have to understand what has been happening. A little bit of context. You see, in Gospel of John, starting with chapter 7, Jesus is proclaiming more and more boldly of who he is. He's actually preaching with such great authority that even the Roman soldiers, the hard, hardened Roman soldiers, are taken aback. They've never heard a man speak with such great authority before. And so Jesus is making some very bold proclamations. For example, John chapter 7, starting with verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. What a proclamation that he is, that he himself would be the living water, and that he's tying his proclamation to what has been said in the Old Testament, what God has declared. And so there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of like, well, who is this Jesus? When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem where the village of David was? So there was much division among the people over him. Some were moved by who he said he was, but they couldn't quite put the pieces together. And so there was division. John chapter 8 verse 12 Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, this is astounding statement. 
not only does he proclaim that he is the light of the world, but that he himself can impart blessings upon people who believe in him. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's the living water. He is the light of the world. And he's speaking in such a way that it is not just him, but it is God himself, because only God himself could fulfill these particular promises. This bothered the Pharisees greatly. Who is this man? And Jesus doesn't back down. He keeps pressing and pressing home the point of who he is. And so then we get to this text. So they said to him, now you can hear a little bit better. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Again, astounding statements. Jesus is now speaking with authority of him who sent him, of the Father who sent the Son, of the Father who sent Jesus, Yahweh, the great I am. And he says this to them. He says, my message hasn't changed. Had you actually listened, you would know that my message has been the same from the very beginning. So what has he been telling him from the very beginning? Well, look, if you go just to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, what do you find out about Jesus? You find out that he is the Word of God. He is the Christ, the Anointed One of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his disciples declared him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. That's all chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. But there is even more. Actually, if you take a look in the first few chapters of the Gospel of John, he would be raised on the third day. The Son of Man who descends from heaven, the only Son of God that brings eternal life, living water, he's the bread of life. The list goes on and on and on. And if you were the two guys on the road to Emmaus, you would have found out that the whole of Scripture speak to who he is from the very beginning. I put, I've got one picture up here that just has a lot of the words of who he is, but let me read to you. And if I read everything on who he is, it would take a good 15 to 20 minutes. In brief, he is the Christ, the Son of God, Redeemer, Savior of the world. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the righteous judge. He is the first and last He is the bread of life. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of all. He is the light of the world. He is the Lamb of God. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the great I am. He is the holy and righteous one in his name is Jesus. Is there any doubt? Is there any confusion of who he is from the very beginning He has been telling you that. If you read the Bible and don't find that Jesus, you have not read your Bible. Jesus is found in every book of the Bible. 
he is proclaimed from the very beginning to the very end. See, a lot of people read the Bible and they they read it for like a a self-improvement book. Like if I read this, my life will simply get better. They want what Jesus has, but they don't want the Savior himself. Jesus had to contend with that. He said, John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he's telling this to the Pharisees. I have told you this from the very beginning. But you don't seek me. And thus you have not found me. But one day you will recognize me. He says this to them. They didn't understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That phrase, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Jesus is saying, even if they don't recognize him now, there will be a day when you, when they will recognize him as Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, there will be a day when everybody, whether they believe or not, will recognize Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. On the day of judgment, everyone will declare him Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what he has been declaring from the beginning. This is what the Father has sent him to declare. He and the Father are one. Is there any confusion of who Christ is? Now we're going to go to the next section, knowing the truth. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here, Jesus sums up much of what he has been talking about with his disciples. If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've heard that phrase a lot, haven't you? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That one phrase has been co-opted by so many people for so many different things. It's unbelievable. Did you know CIA, the CIA, their official model is the work of a nation, the center of intelligence, but the unofficial motto is, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. How's that for an unofficial motto for the CIA? If you go on many higher, uh, uh, um, sorry, many academic institutions of higher learning, Many of them have this phrase as part of their mission statement. 
You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But look, they have taken Christ's words out of context, haven't they? They have taken it out of context. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And it should be almost, and then. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the implication. If you abide in my word. So abide. Abide means to remain, to spend time with someone. It speaks of a close relationship and the idea of persevering. Now, next week, we're going to delve into this word abide a lot. So I'm not going to cover it in depth here. But Jesus says, you have to abide in what? In his word. And you can't be a disciple unless you are abiding in his word. Again, many people want to follow Jesus, but they actually don't even know his word. There was a study that came out by Center for Biblical Engagement. It found out something very interesting. If you are in the Bible, in Scripture, three times a week or less, it has zero to negligible effect on your life. If you're only getting God's Word once a week, maybe you come to Sunday, right? And you hear the Word preached and the Word read here. It has no effect, almost negligible. If you're in the Bible twice a week, same thing, almost no discernible difference. Three times a week, there's a little blip, but not much of a blip. But listen to this, what happens when you are in God's word four times or more a week. There's a 74%, you are 74% less likely to gamble. You are 57% less likely to get drunk. You are 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. You are 61% less likely to view pornography. You are 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. You are 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. And you are 31% less likely to struggle with forgiving others. If you are in his word four times a week or more. But listen to this. You are 228 times more likely to share your faith with others. And you are 230 times, 231 times more likely to be, to be discipling someone else. This is the effect of being in his word. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be in his word. To abide in Jesus is to abide in his word. To abide in his word means that you must study and know his word. And what are you studying? You're actually studying truth with a capital T. What is true, what is morally upright, what is holy, what is righteous. And when you abide and remain in that, it can't help but make a difference in your life. And you are set free from many of those things that I've mentioned, from gambling, drunkenness, pornography, loneliness, forgiving others. But what you are most set free from is this, of being a slave to sin. 
And this is a sticking point for many people, in part why they don't want to read the scripture and why they don't want to find Christ Jesus. Because you would have to admit that you are a slave to sin, and this bothers many people. Because they don't want to admit that they're a slave to sin and need a savior. So let's talk about being set free. Our text says, verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, they heard this and they were indignant that he said and implied that they had been slaves to anyone because they said, we're from Abraham. We've never been slaves, which actually was a lie. If you take a look at the history of Israel, they had been enslaved numerous times. So that's not even true, but they were simply indignant about it. And they got a a sense of opposition to being called a slave and a slave to sin. How dare Jesus say that? Now, it's hard for us to understand that. Is it indignity? Is that the word? The indignity, their, their opposition to what Jesus has said. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples in our current culture that may stir your indignation. So just be forewarned, all right? Because there are a couple of phrases in our culture that people use. God loves me and accepts me just as I am and hate the sin, but love the sinner. You've heard these phrases a lot, right? But these common phrases ultimately deflect the severity of sin. These phrases deflect the severity of sin. Well, what about God loves me and accepts me just as I am? Well, the first part of that is definitely true. God does love you. Make no mistake about that. God loves you. What is false is this, and accepts me just as I am. Now, if this is causing you some consternation, that's okay. Does God accept you just as you are? No, he doesn't. He doesn't accept you just as you are. God loves you and accepts you because of who Jesus is. During Passover, they had to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, right? Did God stop at every house and look inside who was worthy to be saved in that household? No, he did not. He looked at what was on the doorpost, which was the blood of the lamb, which covered that house. In the same manner, God accepts you because of the blood of the lamb, because of who Jesus is and what he has done. There's much more that could be said about this. But this statement that I just said rankles many people today in our current culture because they use this as a rallying cry to deflect anything about sin. Well, what about the second one? That uh, hate the sin but love the sinner. 
Well, we do uh, hate the sin, but uh, we somehow want to take the sin and separate it from the sinner as if those two things can be separated. They can't be separated. Rather, it's much better to say, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. And I would add the words from the very beginning. Now, is your, does this bother you a little bit? Make you a little uncomfortable? Like you want to go, want to argue about that? Well, if so, then you're just like the Pharisees. This is what Jesus said, though. He said, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The picture here is of a slave who is in the master's house, but not forever because the slave has no legal standing to remain in the master's house. At some point, that slave will be cast aside unless the son who has the full authority, who has the full authority to grant forgiveness to that slave, to redeem the slave, to pay the price for the slave so that they remain in the master's house forever. It is the son who can set you free. And the son has a full authority to do that. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How are you freed? That you say, I believe. I believe you are my Lord and Savior. That I am a slave to sin. And because of you, Jesus, I am now set free. That's why we sang that song My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, ransom me. You and I stand in that freedom, not because we have overcome, but because Christ Jesus has overcome. Not because we have paid the price. Jesus has paid the price. And we stand in freedom, not because of what we say, not because of our word, but because Jesus is the word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what Jesus has been proclaiming to the people around him. This is what he proclaims to you and I, that we have that freedom and thus the promise of eternal life with the Father and with the Son forever. So this morning, for you, can you cut through all of that confusion and answer this question, who is Jesus? Are you abiding in his word? And I would ask, how often? Remember what we talked about, four times a week or more in the word makes a huge difference in your life. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if we could just have Bible study four times a week or more for the country? Don't you think a little bit of the panic would subside? The hysteria? And have you confessed and received the freedom 
that only Jesus can give. This is the message today. The truth will set you free. And who is the truth? It is Christ Jesus' word. He is our cornerstone. He's our rock and redeemer. And it is unwavering, unchanging grace and mercy. And for that, everybody says, Amen. Amen and hallelujah, right? We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. 